Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Folks, it's so good to see you today. Uh, for those of you that do not know me, my name is Andy. Uh, I am the creative director here at Vox Community. Um, we have been a church for a little over two years. Um, we started out of a podcast that um, was engaging some of the most controversial and exciting um, conversations. Um, amidst our church culture, amidst what it looks like to be a person of faith in our current culture, in our political dynamic, our social dynamic, our economic dynamic, and um, it is um, an absolute blessing that we have uh, this church and this space that has been created um, to actually then wrestle with that stuff in a physical form and um, and celebrate uh, Jesus here today. Um, I have a couple uh, little announcements uh, to go through, and I want to I want to share a couple thoughts I have with you guys. Um, you can learn everything you need to know about us at voxoc.com. Um, but let's uh, fire up uh, that first announcement. There it is. Uh, so this week, uh, my friends, um, if you enjoy the likings of delicious craft beer, as do I, um, I will be at. Docent Brewing in San Juan Capistrano on Wednesday night. Um, to invite you guys there if you want to head on down and hang out. Um, we did this uh, a few months ago at Bootleggers in Fullerton. About 30 people showed up. It was a, a really great time uh, to meet a lot of you and and talk and uh, share, you know, make new friends and, and have conversations kind of beyond what we get to do here on Sunday. So um, it is uh, relatively family friendly. Um, I bring my family there all the time. They have food. So if you're getting off work, you can actually head straight down there. They have a kitchen that's there. So food, uh, drink, and uh, and friends. Hey, oh, um, next one. Oh, that's right. So next week, um, Kona Ice, uh, Shaved Ice, will be back. We've been doing that through the summer, uh, kind of once a month. So um, sometimes after church, we just hang out uh, out on the patio, and um, they do uh, great uh, shaved ice, and it's free, and we just want to have some time and hang out with you. So um, so those are my announcements. Um, as I was driving here, um, I was thinking a lot about you guys. I was um, in Forest Home uh, this past week. For those of you who aren't familiar, um, it is a camp that a lot of uh, Christians go to. Um, there's like a, a family kind of version of it. So my whole family uh, goes up there. I, I bring my three kids. Um, and it's uh, it's actually a really beautiful experience. You know, Christians love to just, you know, leave culture and go away to the mountains to kind of like experience God instead of experiencing them among neighbor and friends. So um, sorry, that's a dig. But <laughs> uh, but uh, all I have to say, uh, there's a few things that kind of uh, compelled me. Um, while I was gone, and and not in the typical way. Most most families go, and um, you know, kind of leave with on a spiritual high on this like, oh, the teaching was so good, or the morning sessions were so good because we talked about marriage, or we did this. Um, I could say honestly, it was the best year for my family in particular because I was able to drop off all my kids in the morning. My wife and I actually had some more free time to um, to have some pretty great discussions and do that. But um, here's the thing that I was struggling with most uh, this past week because of. Sorry, I talk really fast. So if that's if that's new for you guys, I, I apologize. You can go back and listen to all this. Um, for me, in my own kind of journey, the past couple years um, with the church, with the podcast, um, many of us have kind of come from a place where the church has done some damage to us. We've had some abuse. We've had some conversations that were unsavory that um, have caused us to question what it is that we participate in in community, um, or you know, we've worked in uh, ministry and, and had bad experiences and, and chosen to to walk away. And um, we've met many of you who've come here and said, "This is my last chance." You know, if I'm going to come to a church, um, when you know Mike was here and. I 
I, it was like, I, you know, we need to be having these conversations. I need a space that I can come and worship Jesus and yet still be able to talk about these other things. So for me, um, going to a church camp that's been around since 1940 um, has survived a lot off of the same stuff that a lot of churches survive off of in the past kind of contemporary age of what it takes to attract people to come to church and attract people to do that. So all that to say, like, you know, I wasn't like, that satisfied with the teaching like I was like oh this teaching sucks like it's just kind of you know I've, I've been too um spoiled you know being friends with Mike and everything that he's done but the thing that I'm compelled by was with my own journey sitting in the room and still realizing I still love these people that are here um these folks that kind of have a, a different journey and are still kind of coming to an awakening of how much of this is helpful or how much of this is good or right and um you know, I, it took me almost to the end of the week to almost remember what we do here in the mornings around Eucharist. When um, the last night, they take you up to this spot in the mountains called Victory Circle, and a lot of um, a lot of the the parents and families share, you know, what they've learned this week and what's going on. And I was fixated on the communion table that was just sitting in the middle. And it was just so beautiful to sit and think of why we do it here and how we do it here. Cause I was with all the different things they'd set up and my experience through the week of just kind of like, okay, what, what's being taught that's helpful to me that I'm actually being able to make sense of. And what I was constantly reminded of just looking at the communion table, waiting for it, the opportunity was just realizing there's plenty of people here that I disagree with and like, and maybe the way that they're even teaching this stuff and the, some of the theology I don't think is correct either. But, you know, we are all putting our hands on the idea that we, we believe in Jesus Christ and that the Eucharist has this representation of what um, we're all looking to acknowledge as his sacrifice and our own sacrifices. And so um, there was this wholeness that kind of came to me with looking at Eucharist and being like, I'm looking forward to walking up there and taking the bread and the cup and noticing that there, oh, hey, radio, um, that there's others that are walking up that might be going through the same thing, you know, that might kind of realize, is this really beneficial for me? Why am I even here? Um, I know that I'm here because, you know, Jesus has brought me here and there's something here that's worth and it's valuable. And so, um, you know, amidst like having a week long kind of typical, you know, Christian experience, um, I was just so reminded of you guys in that way. And that was the most beautiful thing I walked away from was thinking how thankful I am for this community. I'm so thankful for the friends that I've made here, the relationships that I have here. And man, I'm just, I'm blown away by you guys. And I just want to, I want to encourage you and I want to affirm you that what um, you guys are coming to and what you continue to commit to and participate in has profound impact on the people that are in your own lives. I don't want you guys to miss that. Um, and even saying like, when we started this thing over two years ago, um, I don't know that I would have believed that this would have been possible, that a kind of people would come out of this version of doing Doing church, this way of looking at Eucharist, this way of, you know, what does it look like to, to create a space that's safe for people in process wherever you are in faith, but rather we're going to say, you know, for us, it's about orientation towards Jesus, that somehow we can see God as beautiful that would pull us towards him. And we don't have to worry so much about trying to draw in the lines and saying, here's what makes you welcome or not, but rather we say, Jesus is beautiful. And let's have a conversation about how we uncover that and how we discover that. And so um, that being said, said, um, again, I, I just want you guys to be encouraged. I want you guys to know um, how wonderful of a place this is to come to. And um, this really comes into today with, um, for me, when uh, I'm going to be taking Eucharist and thinking about that, sharing gospel 
is so much more than just what we've come to understand about the basics of evangelism, of just saying, I gotta, you know, if I'm gonna evangelize, I just have to tell people about Jesus. Sharing the gospel is actually sharing your life with others. It's actually being willing to say, here's all the things that I've received because of following God and following Jesus, so much so that I have to give it away. I have to be compelled enough to realize I have an abundance of love, so therefore I need to spend time caring for others. I have an abundance of money, so I need to be generous to others. I have an abundance of time, so I need to be intentional about spending time with others. And so um, for me, when I approach Eucharist today, um, that's what I'm going to be thinking about. I'm going to be thinking about, you know, what is it that I have so wonderfully received from God that I feel full of, I feel abundance of, and I would just ask you guys to consider the same and like and kind of go into the rest of the week and be like, then what is that, you know, I just want to encourage you guys to be outrageously generous to whomever it is in your own life. Like I said, this isn't like about money. This is actually about, you know, if, if you feel compelled to be like, man, I've been so blessed. Like I have a big home. So how, who could I put in this home? Do I have room to bring someone in? Um, God's kingdom um, you know, is more than just us telling other people about Jesus. God's kingdom, when we look at the early church, was actually, if you realize that you had a lot to give, you sought out people who didn't have what you had in order to bring them equalization. You know, so if you had a lot of money and someone else didn't, you found a way to help get them to where they needed to be so that they could manage those same essentials because it was out of your love that we'd received from Christ that that was a necessary thing, not because you held some other kind of standard. It was simple. It was like, this person needs something and I have something to offer. Um, so, well, today we do Eucharist and we think about the incredible sacrifice um, that Jesus has given. Um, it is an invitation for many of you to kind of take it for the first time or take it for the first time in a long time as a way to say, um, I want to accept an invitation to sit with Jesus. Because that's what the invitation is. It's not just to, to stand and declare and do that. It's also a way to say, Jesus is interested in having a conversation with you. He's interested in being involved in the process of faith wherever you're at. And, um, and communion is a beautiful way. Um, to enter into that um, with this community. So um, again, I just want to say um, thank all of you. Thank you from me personally, Andy, for the friendships, the relationships that you guys have created with me. Um, and I am absolutely blessed to be a part of this church. And uh, I'm not going anywhere. This isn't like some goodbye. I, I'm just saying like I, I absolutely love you guys so much. And I just, I would, I would say I hope that my hope for you guys is that you have um, this same experience with each other. I'm going really long. I'm just preaching right now. And, but it's like, I just, I felt so compelled this morning. You guys, like, here's, here's a quick little story. I don't care. I'm just taking the time. We got time. Um, sorry, Carrie. Carrie's dying over there. She's like, I just want to get out there. Um, yeah, right. So, uh, okay. So two weeks ago, I'm driving up the 73 freeway, and um, if you own a, to a Toyota Scion, like in 09, you need to go get your engine checked out, because that thing needs to be warrantied bad. So my engine basically um, blew up on the 73, not blew up, just died, and then like explode. But um, I'm driving up 73, my car dies, and uh, I have to take it, um, I have to tow it up to Corona Del Mar. Um, I knew it might die. It was kind of going to happen. But like for my family where I'm at, I don't need my car to die right now. It's like the last thing I need to happen. And so my car dies and um, I text the staff. I'm like, guys, I just need you guys to pray for me, like to figure out what I'm going to do about this. Like I just, I don't have, like I can't really afford to buy a new car. I don't want to take on a new lease, et cetera. Um, 
I get a call back from the mechanic. He's like, yeah, so it's $3,800 for a new engine, you know, $4,100 you know, $4, for a new engine. I'm like, even if I had the new engine, I could sell my car for maybe 5,500 bucks. Like that was what I was, I kind of looked into. Um, long story short, Ronnie calls me. He's like, hey, my father-in-law um, had been meaning to donate this 03 Suburban and he kept forgetting. Um, but uh, it turns out like if you want it, um, he'll just give it to you instead. And so this is like same day. Um, so uh, I'm like, okay, I, I'm looking at all the situations. So overnight I decide, okay, I'm going to take the Suburban next day. And then I talk to the mechanic and the mechanic's like, oh, well, um, I'll buy your car if you want to. So it's like I can, my mechanic will um, just make payments to the guy that uh, at the shop to put a new engine in for his 16-year-old daughter. And so then basically they, they gave me the money, got rid of the car, got into a new car within like 48 hours time. Right. So it's just, it's like, you know, one, you know, circumstance. I had this other kind of story of mine I wanted to share, but it doesn't matter now. So all that to say, um, it's those little things that just add up. You know, I, this is what I want to say. Um, you know, generosity is not only about what you give, but it's also understanding like it's something worth receiving because God is a generous God. And it means that sometimes for some of us who might be on the other side of, you know, being able to be generous. Some of us are in these different states of oppression, whether it's mental illness, whether it's something physical in your life, whether it's um, economic or whether it's socially like amongst your friends and you feel like on the, on the outs or whatever it is. Um, I would say ask for help. You know, this is the kind of room where we're trying to make that a safe thing to actually do, whatever that looks like. If it's financial, if it's um, you need care, um, that's what we have our community pastors for, care at voxoc.com. Um, that's kind of the other balance. And for those of you who are in a place to be like, I can be generous, I have something to give, then start hunting. Let us know, you know, that you're looking to, to be involved, you know, beyond, you know, where you're doing and what you have to offer. So it would um, bless my heart to just see this community become more and more bonded around taking care of each other. Cause that's what we saw. Uh, that's what we should see in the church and more and more and more and more. We keep hearing just division, 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 both in our society in our own churches and other places. And so that's just my encouragement to you guys um, that we've more unified, more bonded, but I, I pray that that happens amidst, you know, a care process, whether it's economically or socially. I mean, hey, if we, if, you know, there's no poor people in the room, God bless us, you know, but there are, you know, we may not be able to see it, but there's a huge scale of different types of folks in this room. And so seek each other out. That's all I got to say. So, uh, Carrie, come on out. Let's hit a question. Carrie's back, folks. Yay. Let's give a round of applause. Man. I was gone a long time. <laughs> yeah, you were gone a long gone. time. I was talking a long time too, so that was my way That's of getting right. you back. You were preaching. I was like, "Oh, Andy's a preacher." Nah. We all knew that actually. Yeah, we all knew that you were right. a preacher. Thank you for I'm sharing that. Have actually, fun. Andy's such of a course. good dude. Like, he is exactly what he's saying. This is our staff meetings. Is him just like pouring out? How can we love people better? Is always the narrative. And even if it's talking about like the signs or how we're going to design the signs, he's like, how are people going to feel loved through that sign? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, he's like, there's a way we will find a way. He genuinely is that person. Guys. Uh, hi, I've been gone forever. I have been gone for one month. I was in my house for two days out of that one month. One of the days I preached here. Remember that day? Yeah, I was a little jet lagged, a little, well, thank you. Cause I'm like, I think I might need to change some things I said, but I felt very passionate after coming back from Thailand and God knew that I needed a really long break to process all that was going on. 
emotionally inside me personally, and then headed to Thailand just compounded the issue. And so we were gone for several weeks on a road trip, and I'm going to share a little bit about that with you and our message. But there was a question that whoever wrote this has been waiting for a month for me to answer, bless her heart. So we're going to answer that question right now the best of my ability. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Last week, you mentioned the comparison of a childhood sexual abuse victim. Last week, this was like a month ago. So if you want to listen to that message, Vox OC podcast, you can go and listen to that. Tread lightly. Uh, Childhood sexual abuse victim to a tree that was permanently bent but was still growing. I was surprised to hear you disagree with that analogy. It is something I have also learned and have recently accepted in my own abuse story. Since you are now rethinking that concept, do you disagree with Dr. Dan Allender's goal of substantial healing rather than complete healing? I have accepted that some of my brokenness is probably permanent until Jesus returns, although I continue to seek improvements. Is it unfair expectation of the damaged victim of sexual abuse to seek complete emotional healing in this lifetime? Great question. I know freedom is for today, but does this freedom mean the peaceful acceptance of existing wounds, or is it seeking the reversal of all damage? Is is. I think she messed up there. Isn't it true repentance to remain bent but not broken while walking daily with Jesus in this side of the kingdom? Thanks so much. Bless her heart for waiting a month for that. That's a great question. I would not, I would be arrogant to assume that I would be able to have all of the answer to that. But here's what I want to offer for something to think about. First of all, Dan Allender is one of my most favorite men. I'm actually going to be taking his course for a year. Um, I have sat many years in studying psychology, and I think um, therapy is really great. I also think that it does somewhat of a disservice sometimes because we can sit in, and I run a counseling center, (laughs) but we can sit in so much therapy and become so aware of all of the traumas in our life that we sit and focus then on all of the traumas in our life. And I don't know where sometimes uh, it leaves room for the Holy Spirit to actually just transform us and to realize that this is not my identity. What she's referring to is there, a lot of my colleagues, there is some books out on trauma, and one of the analogies is that to two trees. One tree is in solid ground and good soil. It has all the sunlight. It's growing. It's becoming the big oak it was meant to be. And the tree next to it, same soil, but it, during its formative years, was bound and tied down. When those ties are released, that tree, because of during its formative years, experienced such bondage, will never grow to be the oak that it was potentially supposed to be. And this is something that we um, sit in the psychology realm that this is what happens in trauma. And I'm going to just push back a little bit. (laughs) Who's to say that that oak, the big one with all the light and all the water, is the oak we're supposed to be? Who's to say that that's, that's that's the epitome of what it's all supposed to be? That's the call? That's what it's supposed to look like? That's what my life is supposed to be? That I'm constantly comparing myself to the oak that had all the sunlight so I can never be what I was originally intended to be, I just don't, I don't buy it. I would buy it if I had no Jesus. Um, I, I would be in that. I would be like, okay, this is, this is part of what I'm saying, and please hear my heart. I do not discount trauma, but we are all working out our brokenness. 
We are all gonna be working out to the day we go to heaven and stand before Jesus and we have new bodies. But I don't know if my life is less than or will never be what it was supposed to be because of my trauma. If anything, I think my trauma has become some of my superpowers. I think that my setbacks have become some of my superpowers. And I am tired of living in a life where people define me or I define myself by my trauma, that somehow I should be striving to be the big oak. When I think that maybe the ones God uses, the biggest oaks in the tree, in the forest, are the ones who've experienced what it's been like to be held down and then to be set free. So, I could get into the psychology behind it, but I think it's more of a mentality of how we see ourselves, and that's what I'm pushing on. When I came back from Thailand, Thailand, I saw many women experience trauma that we don't even can't even put words to. It was so traumatic. It was so egregious. And they don't have therapy. They don't have the means in which to, they don't even have a word for trauma. They don't even have a word for counseling. And yet somehow, in my opinion, they've become one of the biggest oaks in the forest. They haven't allowed their trauma to define them. They've allowed Jesus, King of Kings, to define them, and they are starting to contribute back to society. So will they continue to work out their brokenness? Sure, we all will, all of us we'll be working out our brokenness till the day Jesus comes. I just don't want us to define ourselves by it. I just don't want us to say that I'm the tree that was bound, so I'm forever going to be wanting to be the big oak. And that's where I think blessed little Bonita's heart, if you go back and listen to the message, the 70-year-old, 74-year-old woman that told me, I think that theory's crap. I think it came from her sitting 14 years with people who have overcome incredible odds and are living lives that are beautiful. And I don't even know if that fully answers your question, but in the end of, at the end of all of it, I want you to remember that it is how we, if we start to see ourselves through the grid of how God sees us, like truly his banner over me is love. Remember that when you're a kid, if anybody's been a Christian, his banner over me is love. Uh, I think when we start to live in that, no matter what egregious story we sit in, it has less and less power and we start to become the big oak. So I don't know. I'm working it out too. And it's blowing some of my theology, or not my theology, but my psychology to the wind and really bumping up my theology. So sometimes I just think theology dictates psychology anyway, so it's better to start there. All right, let's pray because I need it. So I don't know if you need it, but I do. God, we just ask you to come into this place. I pray for the people here that are new. I pray for those that just walked in that have never been in church before, and they are like, what's happening? Uh, Let them know that they are welcome and settle their hearts. For those that come in, God, that are coming in with trauma, they're coming in with pain. In fact, there's no one in this room that hasn't experienced pain. As pain is pain, it just comes in different packages. So Lord, I just pray that you would take whatever they're sitting in today and that you would just speak to all of us. Speak to me, Lord. Speak through me, God. Help me to decrease so that you can increase, God. 
Nobody needs more of Carrie Garcia, that's for sure. The world needs more of you. So I just pray that you would speak mightily, boldly, and with healing in the words that are spoken this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. My dad, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and um, my dad used to go to these camps, and he was a college pastor at first, and so he would go to these camps, and I would get to go with him as a little kid, like six or whatever, and I loved going because I was with like the cool college kids and they, they would take me in and we'd have fun with them. And um, I remember one time going on this hike with my dad and we had gone to winter camp. And so it was super snowy. And this memory has stuck out with me forever. And I've never, ever used this illustration because I didn't know where to use it. Like, I was like, man, that's a, it's a memory that stuck with me forever. I've had it forever since I was probably like six. And yet I've never used it in any of my speaking until today. <laughs> so it's going to be a good one. Uh, and it's really not even that big of a deal, but it was profound for me. So we were hiking up this hill. And I was walk. my dad was walking in front of me with, with, with a bunch of college students. And I always wanted to be like, cool. Like, like I was five, but I was like, man, maybe they'll think like I'm like in college, you know, but I'm six. And so I'm, I'm walking behind him. And as I'm walking behind him, I'm just following as you do in snow, just kind of following his footsteps. I'm following behind him and all the kids are way up and I cannot keep up. Like I'm little, you know? So he's holding back while the rest of the older kids are going forward. And I so want to be with the older kids. I so want to try to catch up. I cannot. I'm little. My legs are small. You know, I just can't do it. And so I'm just trucking along right behind my dad. And as I'm following in his footsteps, I'm noticing that the snow is getting deeper, but nobody else is really noticing because they're not six. You know, my legs are this big and my dad's six five. So where snow comes to me here, it's like here on him. So he's going and going and all of a sudden I find myself, I mean, I'm taking the biggest steps trying to get into his steps now. And if the snow is like getting stuck and I'm like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to tell him like, I can't go. And I'm so embarrassed that I can't keep up. And I'm so like, oh my gosh, the college kids aren't going to think I'm cool. And you know, I just want that. I mean, this should have been like a prophetic for my life of like everyone trying to think I'm cool. And so, you know, not anymore. Now I don't care, but I did. And so I'm chucking along and finally I can't, I literally cannot go anymore. The snow is up to here. My dad doesn't notice because he's just going along and he's pretty tall. And I just finally say, dad, I can't go anymore. I don't really remember if I was crying or whatever. I probably was knowing me, but I, I'm like, I can't go anymore. And he turns around and he says, oh, okay. Like not even thinking about it. Oh, okay. Swoops me up with one arm because he's six, five and just a huge, massive human being swoops me up with one arm, puts me onto his hip and we keep going. And I looked back at that illustration and kind of thinking about that in my life. And I'm like, all of a sudden, all the fears about not being cool went away because my dad, who is super cool and the college pastor is now carrying me and I'm keeping up with all the other kids. Even though my smallness had limited me in that moment, the moment that my dad swooped me up, I was now right back in the arms of safety and security and joy. Although my smallness could have limited me, what it really did was make me get attached even more to the very person who had weight and stature, right? So 
I mean, isn't that just like the most, uh, what a great illustration to go into. I mean, I'm talking about Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So, I, and I finally got to use it. So I, I was reading about John the Baptist. I've been struggling with my own kind of stuff lately. And as I always tell all of Vox, Vox Church, this is the place where I get to work out. It's like therapy for me. This is where I get to work out my issues <laughs> on stage here. Super healthy. Um, and I don't get to do it anywhere else. Everybody has a theme. And I'm, what I'm going through is never the theme. It's always like fearless and be brave. And I'm like, mm. I feel small, you know, and that's, they're like, we don't want that theme. We don't like that one. I feel depressed today. You know, we don't do that here. I'm like, okay, I'll do it at Vox. So I'm reading about John the Baptist and here I just want to set the scene for you with John the Baptist. So we kind of know John the Baptist. He's the weird guy. He's a prophet. He was prophesying about the Messiah coming, Jesus Christ. For those of you who don't know, before Jesus Christ, you know, had claimed Messiahship, he was like baptized people, letting them know about Jesus. He was the guy that wore like weird furs and ate honey and was like out in the wilderness. He was just like that eccentric weirdo that loves Jesus, but people were flocking to him and getting baptized because he had the Holy Spirit on him. So he was speaking incredible, powerful, life-changing truth and was baptizing people to walk in newness of life. Now, he wasn't saving them because baptism doesn't save you, but... And that might be a whole thing for people right now, but okay. So he was not doing that, but he was claiming Christ as Messiah and that Messiah is coming. He was prophesying that Messiah would come. And John the Baptist had followers, disciples, just like Jesus did. People that were just kind of like we do in churches, right? We've got a pastor and then we've got the people that work for the pastor and they kind of come around and like, okay, you're anointed, which is all so weird because everyone's here. If you have Holy Spirit, you're anointed. But you know, like they're anointed so they have people that follow them and they really believe in their church and they really believe in their ministry. They really believe in their nonprofit. And this is the same for John the Baptist. John the Baptist had some people around. Now Jesus shows up and John the Baptist knows that it's Jesus and that it is now time for John the Baptist to baptize Jesus. John the Baptist is like, no, I can't. And Jesus is like, yes, you can. You're going to do it. So he does. In that moment, he baptizes Jesus. God opens the heavens. And mind you, this is not just just John and Jesus. This is John, Jesus, and a bunch of people and all of the disciples that were following John the Baptist. Heavens open up. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. A dove falls on him, which is representative of the Holy Spirit, falls upon Jesus. Jesus is now empowered to go and do the ministry that God has appointed appointed him to do as the son of God. John is witness to all of this. So are the disciples. So we find ourselves in John chapter 3, verse uh, 20. Nine or no, 23. And uh, we'll actually do 22. Afterwards, Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem. He's doing some stuff with Nicodemus and you should go read that. It's really cool. Jesus, but I don't have time for all that. But Jesus is talking to people, trying to get them to kind of understand that they need to follow him. And, uh, but he stays in Judea for a while, verse 22, and baptizes there. Jesus is staying in Judea and he starts baptizing people. Now he's baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Now Jesus hasn't died yet. So this is a little bit of a different setup by how we get baptized now, but it is a claim of like, I am going to follow Jesus the Christ, okay? So we now come to verse 23. 
At this time, John the Baptist was also baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. Now, this is the only time we see John the Baptist working simultaneously with Jesus. Okay, so Jesus, a lot of times when they talk about, or we, we look at that, Jesus' ministry starts after John the Baptist is beheaded and dies. But this is the only time in scripture that we see that they're actually working simultaneously together. And this is actually John the Baptist's last public appearance, public that we see here in scripture, public appearance. So he's baptizing people because there's so many people that still want to have him baptize them. In verse 24, there was before John, this was before John was put into prison. They wanted you to let you know this is their working together. This is a big deal. At that time, a certain Jew began an argument with John's disciples over ceremonial cleansing. And all that means is in when you were in Jewish culture, there was a ceremonial washing that would happen to cleanse you to be able to go into the temple um, and you would have to do this ritual. It had nothing to do really with what they were doing because they were baptizing and claiming that there's a new way, a Messiah is coming. It was completely different, but they're arguing with this man. We don't know what they're totally arguing about, but we know they must have said something that incited or, or enraged the disciples enough to go and talk to John the Baptist because after they start arguing with this man, John's disciples come to John the Baptist And it says in verse 26, teacher, the man you met on the other side of Jordan River, the one you said was the Messiah is also baptizing people and everybody's going over there instead of coming here to us. And I was like, what? Like, hold up. So as I'm reading this, and this is like kind of like, I don't know, I stop on weird scriptures that most people are like, they just read and get to them because like the next chapter is about the woman at the well. It's like a good one. So they kind of skip over this one and get right to that. And I'm like, hold up. So wait a minute. They saw the heavens open up. They saw God Almighty speak from heaven. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If you ever hear the voice of God, you will wet yourself. It is not a small thing. It is a big deal. We don't think, we're just like, oh, God's speaking again. Oh, another angel showed up. No, these are big deals. Highlight reel. Anytime God talks, it's a big deal. It's usually like accompanied by fire. It's not ever like, oh, there's God speaking again. No, it's a big deal. So he hears, they hear God speak. Notice that they don't even say, I mean, they're just such punks. But teacher, that man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, not Jesus the Christ, that man, you know, they're so irritated with him. The one you said was the Messiah because we don't buy it. They don't buy it. Why don't they buy it? I'll tell you why. That one you said is the Messiah is also baptizing people and everybody's going over there instead of coming here. Oh my goodness. As I started to sit in this and listen to this, I go, oh, how often do we judge ourselves, judge our ministry based on what other people are doing? Man, their church is really fine. Look, they have all the people. You told us to start a church and we have 172 people. And they have 3,000. We need better music. We need a better pastor. You know, get rid of that one. And we're constantly like in this state of comparison. And I started to ask myself, what even motivates our service? You know, what was motivating these disciples? I'm sure it started off like, hey, we're doing a cool thing, you know? 
But pride starts to creep in, right? Jealousy starts to creep in. Envy starts to creep in. All of a sudden, when we started to feel big about ourselves, and now Jesus is taking the limelight, all of a sudden we start to feel very small. And small is not a great feeling, Feeling small by the world standards, especially when you're a grown-up, or I'm going to even venture to say when you're small and a kid, it's not, the world feels really big. We don't want to feel small. We want to feel great. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. No, we're like, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be greater than them all. That's the narrative. I'm seeing it everywhere. Everywhere I go, I'm seeing... And I love God's people, but there's just this like culture that's lifting up people on a stage or it's becoming this like celebrity status. Like I speak for Jesus, but really I speak for me. And it's becoming this kind of like celebrity thing and my heart's convicted. And, and y'all, I speak for a living. I travel the world and speak for a living. And so I'm literally like sitting like, what is motivating my service? Am I prone to wanting to be the master of my own agenda? In, uh, in numbers, and, and I was like looking, so I did all this research because I'm just a nerd like that. And we just don't have time to go into all the places this is found. But I thought this was interesting in Numbers chapter 11, verse 26. There was these two men, Edad and Medad, They were still in the camp when the spirit rested upon them. So just like Jesus, spirit comes down, anoints them to speak. Now this is Old Testament. Holy Spirit lives in you now. All the days you're anointed. Back then it would only live for a little bit and then come off of you. This is a fun fact. You got it now. All the power, all the authority, all the anointing. You could be up here and preach. You're anointed. All right. Okay. Moving on. So the spirit comes and rests upon them. They were listed among the leaders, but had not gone out to the tabernacle. So they just started prophesying right there in the camp. And a young man ran and reported to Moses, Edad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun. Now remember, Joshua takes over for Moses, anointed man of God. He walks into the Jordan River. The Jordan River stops. This guy is awesome. But... We all got flesh, don't we? And here we go. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' personal assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? Moses says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Then Moses returned to the camp with the leaders of Israel. I love that he was like, seriously, check yourself. I got to go. You know, I just love it. And I'm like, this is from the beginning of time where something inside of us, even if it's the name of Jesus, we don't want to feel small. I want to be great in God's kingdom. I mean, it's great to say I want to be a servant, but I don't know if we really mean that. Because small in the eyes of society is less than. And we don't want to be less than. It brings up too many feelings of our lives, our childhoods, our abandonment issues, our trauma. We don't want to be less than. We want to be overcomers. We want to be the big oak. That's what I want to be. I want to shine in the forest. I want to be the oak that everyone wants to be. So I speak for Jesus, but follow me on tour. I'm running a tour. So I'm speaking to myself. 
pride motivates us to want to be seen as great. And here's what I'm gonna challenge you with about pride. Pride is not usually just standing on its own. Pride is actually motivated by something deeper and it's usually motivated by shame. This place that says I'm not worthy enough. I need to be better, I need to be seen as better and so my shame motivates my pride and my pride makes me wanna be big and I reject the idea that I'm small. And I become in bondage to the pride, to the very person I wanted to serve, to the very voice I wanted to have for God has now become my bondage. You know, even this idea, you know, this gets thrown out, this gets thrown around a lot. I just want to know what my calling is. I just want to know, God, I'm just waiting. Send your calling. I am going to relieve you of so much stress right now. Here's your calling. You want to know what it is? This is for everybody in the room. Love God, love his word, love people. And if you're not married, you should marry well. I think that's your, I think that's your call. That's my kid. That's our house mantra. Love God, love his word, love people. And then my kids have to say, and marry well. Because it's a hard, guys. It's hard. Marry well. <laughs> this is it. This is your calling. I don't know how that manifests itself. If you're a baker, Bake if that's how you're gonna love people. If you are really good at opening up your home, open up your home. That's how you're gonna love people. This is your calling, but we get fixated on my calling. What's my calling? Or I need to have personal fulfillment. What's my personal fulfillment? Me, me, my, my, personal, 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 and it's all about us. Aren't you glad you came this morning? (laughs) This is so fun. This is what I'm sitting in. Bottom line, it comes down to when we are working out my calling, when we are working out my personal fulfillment, it will subject ourselves to comparison every day, all day of the week because I am now looking to me to somehow be something great and there will always be someone doing it better or greater. So now all of a sudden, my calling and my personal fulfillment now just feeds my pride, which then feeds my comparison, which makes me not feel great but even smaller than when I started out to be. It's, it's madness. It's absolute madness. And yet we do it all the time. We do it in our workplaces. And I'm not saying it's wrong to pursue and do well in life. I'm not saying it's wrong to, 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 to climb the corporate ladder, but making sure that you understand you want to be great, In God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. John the Baptist goes on to show these disciples of his some truth. We find ourselves back in John chapter 3, and John replies to them, God in heaven appoints every person's work, verse 27. You see, it's not by my might. You yourselves know how plainly I told you that I am not the Messiah. I am here to prepare the way for him. That is all. 29 says, the bride will go with the bridegroom and a bridegroom's friend rejoices with him. I am the bridegroom's friend and I'm filled with joy at his success because he must become greater and I must become less and less. 
you know, for me in my own ministry, these are things that I sit in and I kind of work out in front of you, but I tend to be around quote unquote professional Christians. <laughs> People with a lot of followers, I do not have that. I tend to be and share stages with incredible, incredible people, but people that the world would esteem as great. And so as I sit in that and I'm around that, I start to think, should I be doing more? Oh, maybe I should talk like that because that will really make a room feel amazing. Somehow I'll manipulate the Holy Spirit to have a move. And so I find myself as my shame of my smallness, the shame of, of maybe my past starts to then motivate my pride and my pride starts to motivate my preaching or my ministry. And I start to go, man, our tour should be bigger. I should have more followers. I should be bigger. And I found myself, and I'm just being honest with you, here in the past couple months before I went away for a month, I needed to go away for a month. (laughs) Starting to get into this cycle, and I would never say this on stage because, you know, you don't say that kind of stuff. I mean, I do. But you don't say that kind of stuff and get hired. And, And I find myself going like, I need to be better. I mean, I just published a book and I go, ah, it's not good enough. I mean, I published a book because God told me to. It almost took my life. It was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. And I should be proud of that, but not because I did it. To be honest with you guys, it was the hardest thing ever. And God was like, be obedient. What I'm realizing is like, it's just a book. It doesn't compare with what's already been written. Maybe it'll be a tool. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But my identity is not listed in a book or a stage or Instagram followers or how much money I make, what makes me great is knowing what I'm here to do and letting him become greater and me become less. You see, John got it. I'm the, I'm the bridegroom's friend. No one goes to a wedding to see the best man. No one cares. No one even remembers who the best man was. In fact, most of you who are married don't even really remember who your best man was. You're not even friends with them anymore. They're kind of irrelevant. Their job is to get you there and to not run away. That's their job. And they stand there, but they're insignificant. You see, Jesus was being ushered to marry and reconcile us, creation, humanity. And John knew exactly his place. Oh, no, I am only here to welcome the groom, to usher him to meet his bride. That is all. We must become less small so that he can become greater. This is where joy is. This, you can just hear it in his voice, almost like he's so elated. I did it. I was here. I did the call. I ushered him in. I got to baptize him. John the Baptist is a pretty large character in the word of God. I mean, he had followers. By all intents and purposes, he was Instagram famous. We went, um, I don't have a time down here, so we're just going to preach forever. Um, I'm almost done, though. But we went on our road trip after I got um, from Thailand, and we went on a road trip to Montana, uh, which is like the border of Canada. I drove to Canada. Thank you. 
which should be applause, but fine. Um, with okay, thank you, the four of you. Um, with my three kids, that'll get a better applause. So anyway, we drove. Yeah, <laughs> we drove to Canada, the border of Canada, Montana Glacier National Park, and I found myself. After Thailand, after the book had been out, after I did, and some of you know this very exposing podcast about my thoughts and feelings, and it was quite a doozy for me um, to be that honest, and I found myself feeling very small. Even even in the podcast, I said, I just feel like uh, I'm supposed to be doing all these really big things, and I just feel so small. And this wasn't like small in the good sense of the word of like, you know, it's all about let Jesus be greater, and I'm less, and it's wonderful. No, this was like, I feel so inadequate and so small, and am I a fraud, and this is, and I'm wrestling out this stuff. And I come to Glacier National Park with my family, and I'm spent. I'm emotionally spent. We've started a lot. We have a lot going on in our ministry. And I just am like, am I spinning my wheels? Am I trying to be so great? And I'm hiking through these mountains. If you've never been to Glacier National Park, you should go. It's, I've been to many national parks. It's like nothing I've ever seen. I can only equate it to like the Swiss Alps. It looks very similar to that. It's just astounding. And we're hiking, I mean, we're hiking through snow, we're hiking through uh, just fields. I see animals, I see a moose, and it's baby nursing right in front of us. Moose are big, by the way, very big. I thought they were small. They are not small. We saw a bear, several bears walk across our trail with their cubs. We had bear spray out, watching them looking at us like, Hey, what's up? Like, they didn't care. They were just, and we're like, bear spray, knife, like we're going to do something with <laughs> to a bear. They're grizzly bears. Um, and I'm not kidding. Like, walked across as close as you are. We saw so many big horn sheep. Those are the raddest, meanest looking things I've ever seen. We saw them like this close. I saw mountains that are so majestic. And I started to think, and I'm praying, and I'm talking, and I have a lot of time. Everyone's hiking, and so everyone's not really talking because they're all irritated we're hiking so much. And, um, and I'm just like, God, I just feel so small. I just feel like overwhelmed. Am I doing the right thing? And I hear him speak to my heart. He said, oh, honey, you are small. You are so small. Out of all the humans in the world, you make up the molecules of one small little creation. And I'm like, you're not helping. This is making it worse. He's like, you see these mountains that are around you? I made them. From the ground with my finger, I lift them. You see those animals? I made them and created them and gave them four legs. That moose, not mooses, because that's not the plural, just the moose. That's mine. I made it. And I read in Psalms 8 as I'm walking and I'm feeling downtrodden and sorry for myself because I don't have enough followers or whatever. In Psalms chapter 8, verse 3, he says, David says, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, not your hand, not your arm, not your whole body, just the work of your finger, God. What can you do with your finger? Not much. I can't lift anything with it. I can pick, but I can't do anything with it. It's not very powerful on its own, but the finger of God 
creates the moon and the stars that you have set in the place? What are mortals that you should even think of us? Mere humans that you should care for us, for you made us only a little lower than God. And you crowned us with glory and honor. You put us in charge of everything you made, giving us authority over all things, the sheep and the cattle and all the wild things, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. Verse 9 says, O Lord, our Lord, the majesty of your name fills the earth. I started to realize it's so freeing to be small just like the girl who was hiking in the snow, following in her father's footsteps, who so wanted to keep up, the moment that I felt free from the striving and the wanting to be and the catching up was the moment that my dad whisked me into his arms and put me on his hip, although the reality of my smallness was never before more seen than in that moment, it was the moment I felt the most safe. You see, it is not your responsibility to save anybody. It is not your responsibility to make sure people are getting baptized with you. It is not your responsibility to fix your old church. It's not your responsibility to fix your marriage. It's not your responsibility to climb the corporate ladder and make an impact on the world. You do what God puts in front of you, but you want to be great? Learn to be small. Learn to put the the worry on his shoulders. Learn to put the care on him. Smallness isn't a bad thing. It's the greatest thing. My smallness is my greatness. You see, I am the tree. I'm the one bent down with all the cords that the world would say, well, you'll never be the big oak because you have all that. No, no. My smallness is my greatness. It's what makes me fully understand why I'm here and who I am. I love that John goes on to say, and and we'll end with this, but I know I keep saying that, but we will. In verse 31, he says, he has come from above and is greater than anyone else. I am of the earth. Don't mistake it. And I am limited to the things of this earth, but he has come from heaven He tells what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Those who believe him discover that he is true. And remember, he's saying this to these disciples who witnessed. I think, why didn't they rush to Jesus? Because sometimes we get so fixated on the ministry, on the work, we forget what we're even doing it for, or maybe even who we're doing it for. You see, verse 33, those who believe him discover that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God's spirit is upon him without measure or limit. The father loves his son and has given him authority over everything, and all who believe in God's son have eternal life. I just want to end with saying, be wary, friends. Be wary of finding your significance in the limelight. This will only and can only and potentially lead to pride and bondage. If the limelight comes, let it be led by Christ. If the the promotion comes, let it be led by a heart of a servant. Give, serve, show kindness, be small. 
This is who inherits the kingdom of God. And when we fight for position or for pleasure, we are trading our true freedom and our true joy for a counterfeit. Don't believe the lie. It's a trap. It's a trap that says you're supposed to produce more. You see, you don't produce anything. Any gift that you've been given, any idea that you have, any book that you write, any platform you speak on, any ladder you climb is a gift given freely from God. When we start to mistake that, pride, striving will rob you of the joy that God is wanting to give you. He wants to free you. He wants to be close to you. And so, for many of you, this is a time where we need to think. Have the, ro- the roles been reversed? Has my smallness become my hurt? I want to free you this morning, and I believe God wants to free you this morning to put the roles back where they're supposed to be, to allow you to do what God has asked you to do. But remember, it's not on your shoulders. It's on God's. You want to be great in God's kingdom. Learn to be a servant of all. I must become less. He must become greater. As we spend a few moments just in worship, it's probably one o'clock. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but as we spend time in worship, we're going to just do a couple songs. And I'm just going to ask that you spend some time with the Lord. You have a very busy week. You have a very busy life. You're very big and important. <laughs> Allow yourself to be small. Remember what it's like to be a kid for just a minute. Remember what it was like for you to be a kid. Maybe that was hard. Maybe you were scared a lot of the time. Maybe that was the most free you've ever been because you flew kites and rode in red rider wagons and life was good. Try to take yourself back to what it was like to be a kid and allow yourself to ask God, enter into that small place. Don't let me forget where I am in your kingdom. Although I am small, God opened the heavens and revealed himself to you. With his finger, he makes a star and a mountain. And yet he opened the heavens and said, I see you small. Stay here. And he picks you up and he puts you on his hip and he goes, it's safer here. And then you feel all proud because the coolest guy in the room is saying you're his. That's what small feels like. And that's freeing. God, be with us this morning as we worship, minister through our worship team, God, not in the sense of um, coercion, but just through an idea of you speaking smallness to our hearts, which inevitably brings freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we come to the end of another great Sunday, in my most humble opinion. (laughs) Uh, Hey, we believe in a place where you are safe to talk about anything. I am so thankful for the place to be able to do that. Thank you for letting me have a safe place to talk about anything I want to talk about, too, and loving me despite me. Uh, If you believe in what we're doing here... This is my humble ask that you would contribute. We have a way that you can participate in the boxes here in the corners. You can also go online um, so that it can be this really private give. Um, and you can go online as voxoc.com where they, and it'll say participate.
and you can participate on there if you want to do that. Uh, the last thing I want to say before I send you off on your beautiful week is that sometimes um, it's the end of something, and John the Baptist knew it was the end of what God had called him to do, but he was joyful because his identity wasn't in the work. It was in who God had called him to be. So some of you might be having to let go of some things right now that feel really painful, and um, they have been a lot of your identity. Maybe it's been chosen for you to let go, and I just want you to know God has never seen you through the grid of what you do for him. He has seen you through the grid of what he's done for you, and so I just want you to know it's okay to let it go, and um, there'll be something else. Um, Hopefully, it won't be John the Baptist's story, but like it'll be something else uh, for you, and uh, and being small is sure okay. So would you stand with me so I can pray over you? I have no official anointed prayer because we are what? All anointed. Please hear that. And if you tell anybody else differently, run from that place. Okay? Let me pray over you. God, we just thank you for all these anointed saints. We thank you, God, for those that claim you as their Savior. So, Lord, I pray over them right now as they go about their works, their weeks, their parenting, their marriaging, all of their things. I pray, God, that you'd help them to know that in the smallness is joy. And the smallness is our greatness because it is you that we can depend on. It is you that carries the weight. It is you that fixes and heals, molds and shapes. It is you that brings harvest. It is you that says when it's time to be done and when it's time to start something new. Help us to be less, God. Not the enemy would tell us we're not worthy, but less in the idea that we can rest in the bigness of your hands. Help us to be small this week. Help you to be great and let us see the world through your eyes. May you bless them and keep them and make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious to them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a great week. We love you so much, Vox. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.